GoLongTD.com, humanizing pro football journalism. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of Favre with the three-time MVP, Pro Football Hall of Famer, one of one in all of sports history, Brett Favre. Man, it's been a few weeks, Brett. Love uh, seeing you here. Thanks so much for carving out a Wednesday morning. Yeah, this... I woke up this morning outside. It was like 26 here in South Mississippi. And uh, it made me think really about playoffs, honestly. Uh, that's That was my most fun part of the season, I think. Uh, that being said, I let our dog out. And I was like, I like it, but I don't know if I like being out in it, if that makes sense. Uh I used to relish the, the cold games and, uh, the, you know, playoff. Now my first playoff game, as you well know, was inside, but from the bus to the locker room, from the airport to the hotel, uh, you gotta, I mean, I, I just think about that time, that year, that game. I think we ended uh, the following week in Dallas, right? Uh, yeah. And that, that happened several years in a row. But the the whole dynamics of it, the, the cold, the the breath coming out, you can see the breath. Uh, it just it brings back great memories uh, this time of year. It's an icy, miserable cold here in Wisconsin. I'm here in Green Bay uh, working on some stuff ahead of the playoff game, and it's different. You know, even living here for five years and then going back to Buffalo, Buffalo, you get the lake effect, you get the snow. I think I would take that over this just murderous cold. I, I can't imagine what it was like at Lambeau Field in some of those December and January games, Brett. I know your your record in those what was it? Whenever it was like 32 or lower, you were almost perfect. I mean, you'd lock in, win games, but was it enjoyable? I mean, you had to have been just absolutely frigid out there. Well, you know, Tyler, um, in a way it was, you know, and I, I say this um, with sincere honesty. Early in my career, being young, I think there's a lot to be said for being young for a lot of things. You, ailments don't seem to bother you as much. They definitely don't seem to, to linger. You seem to get over things a lot uh, easier. You're, uh, we can all attest to this. Every listener that uh, is listening can nod their head yes. You're a hell of a lot more braver at 25 than you are at 55. You're not 55 yet, but, but you can, you can attest to what I'm saying. I mean, jump, jump, just a couple of examples, climbing up on the roof, being my older brother and jumping off. No big deal. <laughs> you couldn't pay me to do that today. Uh, not to mention stuff would fall apart. Uh, you know, and there's many examples that I could give. And that, that transitions over to, to football. Yeah, I grew up in South Mississippi, the coldest I think it ever got. Now I grew up an hour south of where I live now in the temperature differential. 
If it's 26 here right now, it's probably freezing or close down on the coast. You got that Gulf of Mexico breeze that always kind of makes it a little warmer. So it, even the the difference between here and where I grew up is uh, five to ten degrees difference. So going to, you know, I can count on one hand the times that it, I, I don't ever remember it snowing. Now, it's happened here in Hattiesburg several times since we've lived here. But going to Green Bay and thinking that I knew what it was going to be like, stepping off the plane the first time, the first time ever, I think I was there in February or March after I was traded, I went, whoa. But as you know, as you well know, if it's snowing or, or kind of in that phase, it's really not super cold. Right. If it's 25 below, it's probably not snowing. Now, there may be snow blowing around from, from the ground. Uh, but I, first five to 10 years, I mean, the worse, the better. I, I would, and I may have said this on a prior show, I would be looking at the weather and I was hoping for a big snowstorm like the Tampa Bay, Green Bay game years before with Steve Young. I wanted a snowball. Never got it, but got got some some pretty nasty weather, and so I, I kind of look forward to that. Now, twenty five. I think the, it was thirty below, thirty or thirty five below wind chill when we played the Raiders. You know, when Leroy uh, Lambeau Leap was uh, was formed. I think it was five degrees temperature, thirty degrees below wind chill. It was cold, man. That's when Holman had the big snot, frozen snot mustache on him. Um, <laughs> but then I got a little bit older, and then I would look at the weather, and I would be like, "Don't be cold. Don't be, you know, thirty degrees fine. You can you can deal with that. But fifteen, the lower with a, with a biting wind. Oh, when I got older, man, it, it just cut right through me. Uh, kind of like living." dangerously at, at, a, at an early age, and I shouldn't say dangerously, but putting yourself out there, uh, swinging off a rope in a river, you know, not knowing what's underneath, you know, crazy stuff, jumping off a bridge over a creek, uh, not knowing what's there. Now, if you said, hey, Brad, I'll give you $100 to jump off this bridge. It's only 10 feet into this water. I'd say, Shit, you could give me a hundred thousand dollars. I don't, I, I, I don't know if I'd do it. Uh, so, but, but, but this time of year, it's like you can dust off the, the cobwebs and go back or, or almost go back. I, I was going to say, you looked a, a lot happier, like in the 1996 NFC championship game against Carolina than say, 2007 against the Giants, just from afar on the TV. It looked, it looked like Brett was having more fun in the cold in that first one than the last one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No no question about it. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, had we won that 2007 game, I'd have been hooting and hollering, but I'd have been hooting and hollering on my way to the locker room uh, yeah. pretty quickly. Uh, you know, and I, the, when I took over as a starter, I think I was 22, and uh, all the guys on the offense, if you if you can, I, I don't think you were old enough to really cover us at the time, but 
you've you've researched and looked and said those guys were old that I was in the huddle with. They were thirties. You know, Sterling was, you know, pushing thirty. Uh, the linemen, Rich Moran, Ken Rutgers, Ron Hallstrom, Tootie uh, Robbins. You know, who am I leaving out? Uh, Harry Galbraith. Uh, you know, those guys were James Campen. Those those guys were up in age. Um, and I, I brought a little youth, youthfulness and exuberance. And, I, you know, I was, you know, it was one of those things where I remember getting in the huddle the first time and saying, all right, guys, uh, getting in there, you know, I was happy to go lucky. We're going to score. They, they were like, shut the F up, call the play. And I was like, uh, okay. And that was kind of a, a hard lesson that, you know, when, you, when you've been around a little bit, and if you're used to winning, you're a certain way. If you're used to losing, you're a certain way collectively. Uh, and, and you just kind of fall into that trap of whatever it is that you're been consistent at doing. And I, I sort of fell into, I mean, I was always a, had a winning mentality, but I was like, I could do this forever. Well, you had that whether ability. It be, whether it be 80 degrees or 20 degrees. And then all of a sudden, there, I woke up one day and I was like watching the Weather Channel. I was like, front, stay away for just a couple more days. You know, then I was like, what happened to that bulletproof John Wayne? And I, that guy's long gone. Yeah. Man, and, and it's like to, uh, I had a Brett Favre moment even driving up from Milwaukee to, uh, to Green Bay late, whatever it was. Monday night. So like whether it was frigid cold or a sprained ankle or whatever the hell you were dealing with injury wise, like you, you would just like lock in whatever, like if the elements were crazier, it seemed like that almost forced you to be more disciplined, more alert, more aware. So I'm like, uh, plane, plane gets delayed. Don't even land till 11 PM. I forgot how far Green Bay really is from Milwaukee. It's a, it's a hike, but. No, nobody used hot wire ever again. Just a terrible company because they, they screwed me over. The car wasn't there waiting for me. Had to get a different car. But anyways, it's like midnight into one into two a.m. driving up the 43 in the snow in a car with not snow tires. And I'm like 10 and two white knuckling thinking, all right. All right, baby. I'm locked in. It, it was like I took 10 Red Bulls. This is what Brett Favre felt like in 95 when his ankles beat to shit against the Bears and he's just got to lock in or when it's negative whatever degrees. Like something about the elements, it seemed kind of like forced you to be more alert and aware and dialed in and just get the job done. So, yes, same thing, Brett. Same thing. I didn't I didn't fly off the road and I made it to Green Bay safely. So thank you for that. Yeah, and that. Reminds me of some of our off-road antics, uh, getting off the plane three in the morning and it'd be snowing or just a massive snowstorm had hit. And then the cold, you know, the pile of snow were like bricks. Yeah. And everybody had their ice scraper and Sherm Lewis, if he were on here with us right now, he could tell the story great. But it's true. You know, we had a little fenced in 
roped off parking spot that they saved for us when we would fly out. And Austin Strawball wasn't very big anyway. It, it would be a ghost town when we came back in late at night, especially, especially when it was cold. And our cars were all parked there and it, it looked like just a massive snow dump over there. I didn't have an icebreaker. I just jumped in and would roll my head, roll my uh, window down and get my head out the window and had the defrost on just jamming. And uh, because I was like, no one's on the road. If I, if you can even find the road, it, you know, you, you're doing good. But if you go off into the median, you got cushion. I always looked at tons of snow as cushion. So if yeah. you veered off, you could veer back on, you know. And uh, and that, and I only live five minutes from the the state from the airport, so. Surely I can make it. So Sherman Lewis would always tell everybody's out there scraping. Brett just takes off. Can't see shit. Just takes off. And you got to know that Sherman would talk. He's like he used to on the side in practice. He'd be behind me. He's like, come on, Brett. He's wide open. He's wide open. You got to put it on him. And he's telling the story. Brett took off. He, he couldn't see nothing. He's, he, he's driving blind. Uh, some, some good times. I, well, th- thankfully you survived because I think the, the, the Green Bay that you saw in 92, 93, I mean, it's, it looks like a completely different town now. And yeah. I'm not blowing smoke. I mean, you're the number one reason for that, putting this team, this city back on the map. I, well, we got to get into today, Brad. Yeah. The Packers. I think the last time we talked, it was out of that Thanksgiving Day game. Jordan Love looked great, turned a corner. You cited this as maybe the most dangerous team in the division, capable of doing some big things this time of year. And 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 here we are. I mean, what what are your thoughts on the Packers getting into the playoffs with a scalding hot quarterback right now in Jordan Love? Well, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I sort of predicted as the season progressed based on how they played at that, you know, particular show. Uh, you know, I, I just, as I, I don't want to say evaluate them because I never evaluated them. I just, what, what games I did watch, I watched from a fan perspective, but also from a guy who played 20 years in the league and what, what I see. And, each game, even even ones that they maybe took a step back from the from the you know from the fan perspective, I, I felt like they were slowly but surely getting better. E- even in the games that maybe didn't look as well, you, you learn from those mistakes, or you don't. Some teams, some some individuals learn from those mistakes, but you you see some teams take two steps forward. One step back, two step forward, two steps back. The Packers, you know, had a few setbacks, but they they seemed to learn from uh, from those mistakes. Not that they didn't make them again, but they were fewer and f- further between. And uh, I just seen not only with Jordan, but with the rest of the team, guys were making plays like crazy, opportunistic. Uh, solid defense, solid special teams, not great at any 
one phase, but better each time to a point where if they, you know, if they, it, then it got to a point where they may get in. They need a little help maybe, but the bottom line is they have to win. And that, for a young team, there's two ways to look at it. There's a lot of pressure on them to, you win, you're in. I mean, that, that's a lot of pressure. But I think for a young team, and I think back vaguely to when I was playing early in my career, there's a lot to be said for being young. You don't know, you don't, you don't, if someone told, told you the odds, you know, three games left, hey, here's the odds if you make the playoffs. You go, whatever. And, and when we, like, we play, we beat Detroit, we played Dallas the following week. Our odds of winning that game or the, the next year's game going to Dallas seemed like we went to Dallas every year and got knocked out of the playoffs. The odds were, as I looked at it from afar later in my career, when I understood a good team from a bad team, a, a good situation from a bad situation, we didn't, the odds were not very good if we'd go in there and win. I was like, we can beat them, you know, or, or the mentality of like, Hey, we'll give my best shot. If it doesn't work out, so be it. That's what I saw with the, with the Packers, kind of like a chip on their shoulder. And you know what? Hey, we'll, we'll go in with guns a blazing. We got knocked out. We'll get knocked out. So be it. But we're going to, we're going to give them my best shot. And that's a dangerous team when, when you get that mentality. That's got to be where they're at right now, right? Big underdog, Dallas. Weeks ago, I think um, if they get in, I wouldn't want to play them. And uh, the last two, three, four games, I mean, I've seen – I mean, they, they can beat anyone, especially in the NFC because as you look at the NFC – First, and you may or may not agree, but the first six to eight games, I thought this is Philly's run and Philly only that they'll represent. I mean, I thought they were unbeatable. They, they, they look as good, if not better than they did last year when they left off, which they easily could have and maybe should have won the Super Bowl. So I was like, this is Philly's NFC is Philly and Philly only. San Francisco is a close second. But as you well know, since then, the chinks and the armor have, have grown in all those teams. And you, I, I, it'd be hard pressed if you had got someone's honest opinion, whether they're Dallas fans, whether they're 49er fans, if the honest opinion, who's the hottest team in the NFC going into the playoffs? You, I don't see how you could, could not say the Packers. I'm not saying that they'll go all the way or represent the NFC. But they're the hottest team in football right now, in my opinion. And Jordan Love is central to it all. I mean, you and even before that Lions game, you were on this show putting it perfectly. Like, not not disappointed, not dejected, not really down on Jordan, but just saying, look, sometimes you've got to make some chicken salad out of chicken shit. We yeah. need to see those quote unquote make some shit happen throws. You're seeing those throws now, this back half of the year. I mean, they're literally putting a clip of Brett Favre. Next to a club of Jordan Love, you know, feet off the ground, throwing it across his body, threading the needle, 
What goes through your mind when like the Fox broadcast or the NBC broadcast does that? And what are you really seeing in Jordan Love in terms of those make some shit happen throws that yeah, are in this position? I don't I don't know. Of course, I've never been up close and watched practice and, and watched games in person, but he's got plenty of arm strength. Does he have the arm strength of Aaron and I? I don't think so, but that, that's not that's not to say that he didn't have great arm strength because you're seeing it. Both feet off the ground, making those type of throws is not is not normal, uh, and, and you know it's hard to do and be accurate and make them work. Uh, but uh, what I see from him is what I think. If I were a coach or the GM, what I would hope to have seen for a guy who sat for quite a while. Learn from maybe arguably the, the best playmaking quarterback in, in history. Uh, can make all the throws, made good decisions, had good statistics. Uh, and, and Jordan is a first round pick. So everything points to he should take over and do fine. And that's what I'm, I'm seeing. Seeing a guy who can make plays. What I do see that I like is he's, you know, I wore my emotions on my sleeve and I, you know, I, and I think that that's good. I don't, I don't think that there's a right or wrong way to play the game, but I think that being emotional to a certain degree can serve you well. But I also think that being cool, calm and collective serves you well. Uh, and it seems like the guys respond well to Jordan. They love him. Again, I'm looking from the outside in, but they seem to play hard for him. They seem to pull for him. And you can see that. You can see it. Any fan can see that. And just like you can see the opposite, like they, they want to play. They don't necessarily care much about him. You know, you can sense that. But Jordan seems to have the team, uh, on his back. They love him. He can make the throws. He's making good decisions. You know, statistics, uh, to me, are great when you win. Uh, but you don't have to have them to win all the time. But he, he's, he's putting up good numbers. He's winning games. The guys love him. He's cool, calm, and collective. Uh, I think the guy's legit. I think they, they hit a home run with him. Barring injury, I think that he'll just continue to get better. Uh, I'm very impressed with it. Isn't that wild, Brett? I mean, if that's what we were saying all along. If Jordan Love hits, this is why it was a brilliant draft pick by Brian Gutekinds and the Packers. You have to do it, even if you're pissing off Aaron Rodgers and he's drinking the the tequila that night, as he said. You've got to take that collateral damage. There was a lot of it, too, right? Like he... Man, there's quite a bit. You take that all on because if you hit 50 years of quarterback harmony, (laughs) that's unheard of. Look at all the teams that just get, you know, they they maybe hang on a little too long. You see the Patriots scrambling now. A lot of teams scramble. This is rare. I mean, this is unbelievable. If he hits to have a half century of just dominance at the position. Yeah, I I thought about that, and. It's, I'm almost speechless. Uh, you know, 
it obviously has never been done. Joe Montana and Steve Young uh, obviously are as close to Aaron and I, but and three different regimes that would that would have picked, you know. So you know, obviously, never has been done before, and Jordan's well on his way to making it a third. So I know it's one year. And I'm not saying that as a fan or not as a fan. I'm just saying it as an observer. Based off this year, there's no reason to think that he won't get better. The team is the youngest team in football. Super talented. Skill positions are are really good. As they mature, get older, wiser, they seem to play with a lot of energy and, and, and love making plays. If the offensive line can, can can be shored up each and every year, which they, I thought they played well this year, man, sky's the limit for this team. Is is there one play or one throw that Jordan made, whether it's his past week against Chicago or, or Minnesota, that really made you raise your eyebrows and say, well, okay, they, they do have something special here? Well, the one a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was against Minnesota that they that you were talking about that they really showed a comparison of feet, and it was a it was a risky throw down the middle. I say risky because you don't really know what's backside, and to to counter not really know what's backside, you have to you can't really lay it up. And he it was it was not really a layup; it was more of and it was obviously not necessarily straight on the line, but it was a hard throw. I know I've been there and his eyes were left. And then the guy flashed and you don't have time to really, you got to kind of make a split second decision and hope that the backside safety has been held, but you make a throw, calculated throw. You know you can't just throw a rainbow because anyone coming from the backside could get to it. So you, it's a calculated throw, risky, yeah, but doable, yes. Um, and the fact that he was willing to take that chance because they were kind of—I don't know if I ever felt like that they were going to be stopped the whole game, you know, uh, unless they stopped themselves. So. When I say risky throw, it's hard for them. But also, do I need to make this throw? But to me, it, it just showed his confidence in, in making a hard throw uh, in decision-wise. You know, Aaron, I think, made a lot better decisions than I did, obviously. Uh, and Jordan seems to kind of fall in line with Aaron. It would make risky throws, but it never would – Results in a pick, you know. I mean, you throw five picks in a year, four picks in a year. That's incredible, considering you make risky and down the field throws. Off, I mean, very often. So, it, 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 to me, it doesn't. If you if you're risky and take take those shots down the field, you're gonna it's gonna be tipped, it's gonna be picked, and you're gonna have 12, 15 picks, maybe twenty. But that. That's what's amazing to me that with Aaron and Jordan Love, I, I find that they're very similar in, 
in their decision-making and playmaking abilities. And yet, and you also had me thinking of Gary Myers' book on the 86 Giants. I mean, Bill Parcells used to tell Phil Simms, like, throw some interceptions. Like, take some chances. You, you've got, you can't play scared, you know, to the, to the extreme or you're going to miss out on some plays. You're not going to be able to come back from a 14 point deficit, 20 point, whatever it is. But you know what the difference with this team is, Brett? Like in 92, 93, 94, like we've talked about on this show, you've got Sterling Sharp. You've got the best receiver this side of Jerry Rice in that era. So you're, you can force feed him the ball. That helped you out so much. Aaron, you know, he inherits a team that was one overtime from a Super Bowl. Um, you know, just absolutely loaded. And Jordan loves doing this with the youngest roster in the NFL, the youngest receiving core by far with guys like Bo Melton, right? I, I, off the street, thrown in there, getting a hundred yards and, and players are getting hurt. Christian Watson goes down. Romeo Dobbs hurts his chest. It doesn't matter who's around him. It seems like he is really reading the whole field. And just finding the open guy, which is probably a lot easier said than done, I think. Oh, it's, it's yeah. When someone makes it look easy, uh, trust me, it's not easy. Uh, and and Jordan here, as of late, has made it look easy. And you're right. One guy's out, plug another guy in. Another guy's out, plug another guy in. And that's the history of football in general, but there are examples of, you know, like, can you believe that guy's off the street? Not, not third receiver all year, and then he finally gets a shot. I'm talking about like picking up Andre Rising off the off the street, and then him catching the touchdown in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know that that's kind of that's crazy to have that success. And I know we're not talking about the Super Bowl in regards to Jordan, but who, who's to say? the hottest team in football. I'm, and I said this a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I'm trying to remember who I said it to, but I think it was a public uh, statement. I said, I wouldn't want to play, wouldn't want to, if they get in the playoffs, I wouldn't want to play them. I wouldn't want to be matched up against them first. Uh, and that's Dallas. Dallas is good. They've had their moments where you go, they they may be the team to beat, and then they have a head scratcher. You know, like I guess Buffalo would be a, a good one. They go up and get blown out, and you go. It's kind of like you got this algorithm, and you throw this out because that there's no reason for them to be blown out, and that's not them. But yet, it has, it's happened, and so they've had their moments where you go, they're beatable, they're beatable. And this opportunistic team that's young, that, that doesn't care about the odds, playing lights out, the quarterback's playing lights out. He's handled himself and the pressure extremely well. I'm sure Mike's telling his guys there in Dallas, don't underestimate these guys. You know, and I don't know how many guys were left that he coached, maybe a few. So it's, the turnover is, is, is probably – more so than than familiar faces, but I, you know, don't underestimate them, guys. Don't underestimate them because they will whip you. You know, I'm sure that's what he's saying. Yeah, definitely should be saying. That's what I wanted to ask you too, Brett. What is 
possibly going through Mike McCarthy's mind right now because it's different in Jerry's world. There's a lot of pressure. You know, he's holding those press conferences in the locker room. Nothing's guaranteed. You fall short again at home against Green Bay, your former team that sneaks in. Who the hell knows what, what Jerry is going to decide to do with Mike McCarthy's future? Or is it so does does he get tight? Does he get tense? Is it like, oh shit, this there's a lot at stake here? Or maybe it's the other side of the spectrum and it's man, maybe he maybe he wants to stick it to Green Bay. Maybe he's motivated. This is a team that fired him during during the season. Not too long ago. So motivation could be a factor for Mike McCarthy, too. Yeah, and you probably know this. Uh, I don't. How many times has he played Green Bay since he left? Or has he? Once, twice, yeah. Not much. Obviously not in the playoffs, right? Last year at Lambeau. Yeah. Um, Not in the playoffs. You know, knowing Mike... Mike wears the emotions on the sleeve. I sort of liked that. Uh, he, uh, you know, I would often tell people when I describe Mike, he's sort of, I always thought he would have, was a New Yorker, you know, kind of big and brash. And, you know, like, hey, hey. But he was from Pittsburgh. So to, to me, kind of the same thing, you know. You, I played with a lot of guys, tough guys. Bill Fralick, Bill Moss, uh, or two in particular that were from Pittsburgh that just were, told you what they were thinking, were able to back it up. They were, Fralick was a, I think he's in the Hall of Fame close to it. Bill Moss was defensive lineman, had a great career. Both of them would fight and drop of a hat. McCarthy's kind of that way. And he's, he's in there telling them, Look, we got to be the first ones to hit someone in the mouth. I mean, I'm just, I'm going back off, you know, remembering games that we played in big games that Mike would come in and, you know, I would be thinking to myself, don't peek too soon, Mike. Don't play the game yet. But, but I, I had that same feeling so many times in my, my career where Mike Holman would say, look, don't play the game yet. Don't play the game yet. Just settle down. It'd be four. It'd be Wednesday. Yeah, I'd be. Mike's kind of that way. You know, he he's going to be. He's going to have him fired up, and he'll be fired up. And I think he's has matured enough. I'm just assuming he's been been around. Then he was out of coaching. He's back in coaching. So he, I think he'll I think he'll have him fired up and ready but not peaking too soon, if that makes sense. It's such a value to be cool and calm with no expectations, though, like the Packers are into this game with, with a quarterback and such a young roster. Like you said earlier, eh, you know, there's you don't know what you don't know. There, there's a blissful ignorance to that all where – It's I, dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Well, so on Mike, we've kind of touched on your relationship with him. Obviously – the first episode, the summer of 08, was a little contentious when you're flying into Green Bay and would very much like your job back. And they're saying, thanks, but no, thanks, Brett. Go on your merry way. Uh, but what? How, how would you describe your relationship with Mike McCarthy? It, it started you know, way back in you know, yeah, the 90s when he's your QB coach, but I um, imagine there's some ups and downs. Yeah, it's, it's a very good relationship. 
Um, I think a lot of Mike, we've had our differences, um, whether it be when he was a position coach or the head coach. But I think our relationship was, was really good because we, we agreed to disagree. We, we shouted at each other a couple times. Uh, we made up, we, we came to a common agreement on how, how to play. And yeah, you know, the separation or the divorce from, from Green Bay was, was ugly. And I, I'm as much to blame as, as they are. He would admit that. I would admit that, which I think is, is what has made us have this good relationship. I think a lot of him. You know, I've often said that Mike Holmgren is the greatest coach I ever played for. I think McCarthy certainly is up there as one of the best coaches that that I played for. One of the best coaches that is in the league right now. Uh, you know, I I like his enthusiasm. I like his his creativity. Um, he knows that. You know, I, when. When Dallas was thinking about hiring him, you know, I said some good things in the press about him, and I could have easily not said anything and just say, I, I, I'd rather not say anything. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think that I think he's done a really good job there. And I, going back to what you were uh, just, just talking about with Jerry Jones, you know, whoever coaches the Cowboys, as long as Jerry Jones is the the man, you're always going to have him hanging over you. You're always going to be on the eggshells. It, is it ever enough? I don't know if it's ever enough for Jerry, you know, I, I, unless it's a Super Bowl and not just a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl win. And they've been searching that since Jimmy Johnson left. And it's funny because Jimmy had tremendous success they were college roommates, I think. Kind of grew up through the ranks together. And you would have thought this is a marriage made in heaven. But it showed kind of Jerry's uh, his power, his his looming presence, what that what that does. Uh, you know, I, I vaguely know Jerry. I like this want to. It, you know, we're going to do whatever we can for the Cowboys, but it's got, it's, it's got to be a tough job. You're, you're always wondering, even to end a win, you know, how he's critiquing the team, the team and the coaching of every game, every play, every situation. And, uh, I think Mike's handled it well. I was going to ask you how you think he's, how he handles that innate pressure of the job. You know, I mean, I, from the outside looking in, it seems like he's handled himself well. He in press conferences, he said the right things. But it, you know, I got to believe that unless you just don't care about what I mean by that is, you're the head coach and you go, you know what? I got made plenty of money. I love coaching, but if he fires me, the hell with it. I don't care. I'll go home and you know play golf and you know chill. I don't know if that's where Mike is in his career, you know, if he could say, I mean, he's made plenty of money. It's not about the money. I'm sure it, it, it helps. It's sure nice. But, you know, if, if, if I were to take a job coaching right now, 
I would have a mentality of like, not that I want to, but I'm just saying, if it works out, we win, great. If it doesn't, you don't have to fire him. I'll leave. I don't need it. But I don't know if Mike is at that point. I'm sure Andy Reid is at that point. Like, I love coaching. If it doesn't work out for whatever reason, you don't have to fire me. I'm just, I'm gone. But the dynamics are different in Dallas. I think there's no place in, in, in sports that has the, the dynamics that, that Jerry Jones and Cowboys bring that mystique. I mean, the, the dichotomy between the Green Bay Packers right here. I mean, I'm, I'm literally at a hotel around the corner from Brett Favre Pass one direction, Mike McCarthy way the other. I guess Jordan Love Lane, you know, you know maybe in a decade or so we'll – We'll see that instituted, but no, no owner, right? No, no owner in Green Bay. Uh, there's not a Jerry Jones presence lurking over the over the team, holding press conferences immediately after games, injecting himself into draft meetings, having the final say. It's no coincidence, right, that the that the the Dallas Cowboys haven't been to a conference championship game since 1995, since a game. You're very familiar with, and I want to get your take on that game. That was a wild one. But as a player, I, I would imagine you would like this setup in Green Bay. I, I get it. Big D, big lights, richest sports franchise in the world. And there's something to be said for that. A lot of money to be had. A lot of opportunities business-wide. And maybe, and maybe guys would prefer that. But just uh, Psychologically, I don't know. Give give me little old Green Bay without an owner if I'm a player. Well, first and foremost, I wasn't until you said this. I I totally was oblivious to this. That it's been since '95. You said since they've been to a conference championship. I would have thought for sure they've been at least to one. I know they've been in the playoffs, but I even that I don't know how many times. But I would have '95. I mean, we're going on. 20 years, is that right? Almost almost 30 years? Let's say 95. Right, almost, almost 30. 30 years. Almost 30 years since they've been to a championship. I would have never thought that. The Packers have, have certainly, you know, that now dating back to 95, that, that little run that they had with Troy and Emmett and Moose and Jay Novacek and – Jeff Coat, Charles Haley, uh, Ken Norton, you know, the list goes on and on. Alan Harper, Michael Irvin, Larry Allen, Mark Tuane, Mark Stepanowski. You know, I, I remember all those guys because they stopped us every year. Yeah. I mean, our, our road ended in Dallas and I remember Washington sidelines. Of course, Jerry was, was Jerry. And whatever coach came in, they won. They were – I remember sitting there going, how in the hell were we going to beat this team? You know, I mean, I was young. I was naive. I wasn't really scared. But I but I was also, you know, thinking of the previous year or maybe first drive of the game. They run right down the field. Emmett doesn't get hit. They don't put a helmet on Emmett until he's five yards into the defense. And that was kind of the, their MO. I mean, they'd hand it 
or toss it to Emmett. They were guaranteed five to eight yards per attempt. So you just do the math. They hit first downs on two plays. So like Troy would be 15 for 18 for 300 yards and two touchdowns. And I, and I always explained it this way. I felt like the, whoever the offense coordinator was, was like, you know, I'm going to throw a pass because Troy's getting bored. You know, I mean, they passed because they were bored. They were legit good. And uh, then all of a sudden, boom, Troy's gone. Emmett's gone. All those other names are gone. And they've been searching for that ever since. And the pressure mounts each and every year. And Jerry, I mean, I think Jerry's always had his, his hand in the pot and I, I don't know this for certain, but I can see a staff meeting and Jerry coming in and staff meeting and saying, we got to do this. We got to run the ball better. We got to play better defense. True or not, that's unusual, you know? Yeah. So the pressure has got to be enormous for a lot of reasons that we don't even know about. You know, the obvious things we, I think everyone can say, yeah, Jerry's probably looking over. You know, I don't like that play. Or he's got a direct line to the offense coordinator during the game. You know, I want to see what the play is before it's called. You know, that is as crazy as it sounds, it may be true. And, you know, if, imagine if you're the offense coordinator, you got to send the play to Jerry first before you call it. Yeah. I, I know it sounds crazy, but who knows? But I like Jerry. I like his enthusiasm. I just don't, I don't know if I'd want to coach, uh, especially head coach for it. A lot of pressure, but I think Mike's handled it well. That 95 NFC championship game. I mean, that had to have been one full of emotions. I mean, you're the league MVP, the first of three that season. You're off of the win at candlestick riding high and I'm, I'm thinking back, but man, you, you guys were just banging at that Super Bowl door. And the third straight year, they end it in that title game. How, t- take me to, back to that night in, in Irving, Texas, and what did that do for you guys? You got to refresh me. What go was back? the score? To refresh my memory. What was the score? Was that the one where we lost by a touchdown? That's right. I believe it was like 35 seven. 27. Yeah. Up here. Yeah, I, I think it was like a touchdown difference, if I remember. It was close. Yeah, thir- 38 to 27. But it was close into the fourth quarter. Uh, you guys actually had the lead. Yeah, you guys were winning 27 to 24 into the fourth quarter. If I remember correctly, it was back and forth. I mean, it was like tennis. Big play for them, big play for us. Big play oh, for Phenomenal them. game. I mean, it was yeah. an all-time game. I think it was one of my, if not my best game at Dallas, period. Because we, we played there a bunch. And I think our playoff run was ended like, that was the third year in a row, I think, that 93, 94, 95, our, our season ended in Dallas. And we played them on Thanksgiving one time as well down there, maybe more than once. But uh, that was the probably the, the best game competitive-wise of all of them. And, uh, you know, I remember previous week going to San Francisco and really thinking – I don't know if we can beat these guys. You know, I mean, 
I, I was in Holmgren and I used to talk about this a lot early in my career. Don't, don't worry about who you play. Don't worry about how good they are, how bad they are, because that can, 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 can steer you the wrong way. You're playing a bad team. You think this is going to be easy. You, you over inflate your, you know, how good you are. And then you take it for granted. Maybe you don't study. Maybe you don't prepare as hard. The flip side is you overdo it. You don't think you can win. So you got to grind. You should grind all the time, but you, you prepare best you can and you just go play. And if it, if it works out, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's kind of what he was saying. But when we beat San Francisco, I think everyone to a man felt like, we're, we're legit. We just beat San Francisco in the playoffs. And I don't know if that had been done more than once in the last 20 years. I mean, as good as they were, I think the only time was Dallas beating them like the year before. Uh, the year before that, I can't remember. Uh, so let's go do it. And it was a, a much better game than previously had been played on our behalf against Dallas. You know, I mean, they, they just, they had their way with us. I mean, we 35, seven, what, whatever. And, you know, I think everyone was like, Packers are good. Dallas is great. And they went on to win the Super Bowl. They went on to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, that 95 game was like, we're here to stay. And each year we're creeping up on them. I think that was kind of at least how I felt, and I think the rest of the Packers felt like we're getting close. And, and you know, next year we obviously won it. Uh, but that was the best team I ever played against was those, those Dallas teams just hands down. I mean, they were they were legit. They had, to me, they had the, they were so good it was like, at any point, they could – one guy, you say, all right, I need Emmett, I need two yards. He can get you those two yards. So I said, we need to complete this pass to, to run the clock out. Troy could easily do it. It just seemed so easy for them. Uh, they, they were effortless. Uh, their wins and their drives and their, their defensive schemes, you know, they just – with that game, we gave our best shot. And I just remember it, I, as bad as I felt after the game on the flight back home in, in that offseason, I just felt like that was our coming out party. You know, like we're here to stay now. Psychologically, I remember it's a different sport, obviously. But what you went through against the Cowboys had to have been so similar to like a Michael Jordan against the Detroit Pistons, right? Just a half decade prior where he's getting to the playoffs and getting beat by the bad boys and wondering how in the hell can I get past this team? There was none of that. I mean, that, that, cause that could be the emotion you have on that flight home. Like God, again with these guys in their building and you're just dying to get them at Lambeau field. And then you play them at Dallas the next year and they win that yeah. in the regular season. I mean, maybe it would have been a little sweeter to get the Cowboys in that NFC championship game, but, uh, you would have run through them. And then you, well, I, I don't remember a lot of games back then. Even games that I played in, I, I have to be refreshed. But you know, 
to, to your point, I remember vividly watching the Dallas-Carolina playoff game. And if Carolina won, we were going to play Carolina at home. If, if Dallas won, I think, I can't remember, we may have gotten Dallas at home. But we yeah, may you would have had him at Lambeau. I, I'll be honest with you. I was pulling for Carolina. Even though I wanted Dallas at home, in the back of my head, yeah, I was thinking, if they win, they're going to uh, – and I, I think Switzer may have been the coach at that time. I think psychologically, I was, I, I'm, you know, I was thinking all these things in my head. I was thinking, I want Carolina to win because – even though they had a lot of veteran players, they I thought they did free, a great job in free agency. You know, Kevin Green, Sam Mills, uh, you know, a lot of other guys, Wesley Walls. I mean, there was a bunch of guys, older guys, veterans. Why have gotten to this point, which was nothing short of amazing, but I'd rather play them than the team that's put us out every year because I felt like if we if we – we end up playing Dallas, Dallas, I mean, Green Bay. I think we'll have the advantage, but the advantage that they have is the psychological edge. I can see Switzer saying, they can't, they don't think they can beat you. They may say they can't, they may act like they can't, but until they do it, they can't, they can't get over that. You, you know, you're the thorn in their side. And I, that's certainly how I was thinking. So, I was like, come on, Carolina. Now, Carolina wasn't a pushover, but nonetheless, they had to come in and play us. They didn't have the mystique that Dallas had over us. You know, so we got, at least I got my wish. We got to play Carolina. It was colder than hell. Woodwood beating Dallas. I don't know, but I'd rather try Carolina instead. That's hilarious because I think the fans in, in the stands, if I remember correctly, they were chanting, we want Dallas. And you're probably standing there like, no, guys, all right, let's, let's quiet it down. Not, not all of us want Dallas, but we'll, we'll take Carolina. Yeah, you know, it's funny how mentally you play these games in your head, you know, throughout the season, uh, whether it be something individually or you, you, and you're thinking from a team perspective, like, okay, if we do this, and they do that, then we'll end up playing this team. Or you start thinking about the weather. You start, you just play things out. When honestly, you can't control any of it. You can't control any of it. And Holmgren would say this all the time. And that's one of the reasons he was the greatest coach. He had a, early in my career, he has uh, a way of putting things in perspective that maybe I, didn't sink in at the time, but sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. But later on in my life, in my career, it was like, now I get, not that I didn't get it at the time, but you know, you're 23, you, you got to figure it out. You're hard headed. My talent, it, you know, I can throw it through them. You know, sometimes I would do it. Sometimes I wouldn't, but you know, every time it worked, it just solidified my decision to do it again. But later on in your career, you know, you, I found myself coaching, like, helping the guys out. And look, I need you to run it this way. We need to do it this way or, or 
recommending things to coaches based on my success or our success early on. Uh, and you play 20 years, you can imagine the Rolodex of things that come through your head daily. And Homer would always say, don't look at who's playing defensive end. Don't look at who's playing linebacker. You can't block them. You know, you can't worry about if they're coming free. I mean, you can, but what, what good is it going to do? You got to stand in there and make the play. Get out when you can, can get out. Don't see ghosts. And I would say, what is he talking about seeing ghosts? And then later on in my career, it dawned on me. Well, thinking of the guy, like I saw that the corner was blitzing. And you look at the film, the corner was 10 yards off. You know, he's playing cover really? three. You know, that's seeing ghosts, seeing guys blitz that there wasn't nobody. And, you know, like early in my career, I would scramble and make a play. And Holmgren would watch the film the next day and he'd be like, what are you doing? It would be a good play. But it was totally uncalled for. Why'd you, why'd you leave the pocket? Uh, I saw the backside backer blitzing. We'd watch the film. He's dropping in coverage. And I would be like, uh, I thought, don't see ghosts. Don't see ghosts. And he would say that all the time. And then later in my career, I was like, ah, I know what seeing ghosts is like. You know, it's just, it's just funny how things dawn on you later in your career. If, you, if you're fortunate enough to play long enough, it, it should at some point go, ah, now it makes perfect sense. And I would always tell Holmgren later on after he was gone, you know, I'd say, I know what seeing ghosts means. And he's like, well, it's about damn time you figured it out. It just took a few years. Yeah. But shit, that's probably what Matt LaFleur is telling Jordan Love right now because I got to think Dan Quinn, Dallas Cowboys of today, are going to try to confuse the hell out of them in their house with the noise behind them. They're 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 going to try uh, to to confuse Jordan Love, and he's Love's yeah. had an answer for everything the last few weeks. What what do you anticipate with that cat and mouse game? And we and we got to get a prediction out of you, Brett. Well, I think I think Matt has done a really good job of. So, and I, you know, I don't know if it's Matt, I don't know if it's offense coordinator or collectively. You got a young team. You, you want, in my mind, if I got a young team, very talented young team, but, but raw and young, the first thing I want to do is simplify what I'm doing offensively. Put my guys in the best situation for them to excel. And what, if one guy, is very, like a Sterling Sharp or Antonio Freeman, uh, football smarts guy. I can give him more to, to digest on a play. In other words, like maybe you got a hook route with your Z outside, but against press coverage, that hook route turns into a speed in, like a crossing route. If it's cover two man, where the guy's playing man coverage, bump and run, but inside leverage and doesn't let you get inside, that hook now goes to a speed out. So you push like you're going in on that speed in, but you return back out because it's two man. The weakness is outside. But if you don't have a guy who not from a knowledge standpoint or experience standpoint can do that on the fly, 
say they show the press man and at the snap, the guy backs out of the coverage. Well, that hook should stay on, but some guys can't, can't read on the run. So my point is knowing your personnel, knowing the environment you're getting ready to play in, it's going to be loud. Communication is going to be at a minimum at best. You, you may see ghosts, you know, going back to now. And I'm just thinking, LaFleur, offense coordinator sitting down thinking, okay, is it realistic that our guy can make the read on the fly with a loud 100,000 people just screaming? Or is it better to just have him run a particular route and let Jordan determine open, not go to this guy, go to my next read? Uh, do we want to put our guys in a situation where they're overthinking and, and you got three seconds to get the staff off. And, you know, so I think they've done a good job up to now simplifying it. It's going to be a hostile environment. I think you, you simplify it even more. If, if one of your guys is a really good go runner and you got an opportunity to get a go on somebody, you do that. You, you do what you think percentage wise it gives you the best opportunity and let Jordan play. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into this game with the whole playbook just because of the communication part of it. This will be like nothing they've, they've, I don't think they've been a part in yet. It's in Dallas, quite frankly, the same thing. It's going to be electric and you're not going to be able to say, Hey, 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 line up on this side. You're not going to be able to do that. It's going to be huge to be able to communicate however you do that and be simple. And it's about moving the ball, stopping them on defense, making big plays when the opportunity arises. And to me, the whole key to this game is going to be the first couple of drives for both both teams. You're going to know right away who's handling it and who's not handling it well. You know, one of my favorite throws that you made in your entire career was probably one of those earlier playoff games against Dallas, and you guys are getting beat up. It's 31-10. to I don't know if you remember this one. You're rolling right, rushed, and just flip the torso around. It's all arm on a rope to Mark Chimura back at the end zone across yeah. the field, tight coverage. Every time I see it, like any era of football, that is going to be a, a, a holy shit throw until the day we die. I feel like if Jordan Love can make any throw remotely close to that one, it's going to take something special out of the quarterback in that stadium against this team to pull the upset. But I, I think he can do it. I mean, do you remember that throw? And I mean, maybe that's the no. key. It's just Jordan Love overwhelming these guys somehow. I remember a few throws in, in, in my Dallas games down here. That one probably ranks first on the list. Second would be rolling to the left. Turning my shoulder, hit Sterling in the back of the end zone. Uh, but yeah, the one to Shamir was like a, he, did he do that? He what? Because of rolling to the left and throwing back across your body is, is equally as hard as running hard right and throwing back across your body. Uh, you lose the torque aspect of it that you gain with going to the left and opening your hips and using your, your whole right side to torque it, uh, you lose that. So, yeah, I remember that that throw well. But I, I agree with you. I think the quarterback play is always paramount. But being a, I'm not saying they have to score the first drive or the second drive. They have to 
he has to have poise and they have to, they can't go three and out, three and out. Even, you know, six plays the first drive is better than nothing. You know, they got to show, they got to show a little bit like we're moving the ball and we're, we're creeping up there and, and defensively, you know, I'm not a defensive guy, but they got to come up with some plays, some stops, but maybe a pick, a fumble. And I think that they can do it. I think they can do it. They just need to play solid and, you know, not, it doesn't have to score. You don't have to score the first drive, but you got to show a little promise early to, to, to make Dallas go. This ain't going to be a pushover. And if they can kind of inject that early, they have a shot. Perfectly said, Brett. Man, this was phenomenal. I can't thank you enough. Breaking down Jordan Love, Packers, Cowboys, with little Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy, too. Uh, this is always fun. Thank you so much. Hey, if the Packers make the playoffs, we got to do it again. Superstition. I mean, if they make it to the next round. Hey. You, you're, you're predicting a Packers win here, right? I mean, I know there's way more Packer fans probably listening than Cowboys, and it might seem like you're pandering, but if I were to put you on the spot. I, my, my first impulse would say Dallas is going to win just because the young team with the Green Bay, Dallas is a little bit more mature. But I'm going to say Packers are going to win because they're the young team and they have nothing to lose. And Dallas is not as good as the Aikman teams. I mean, they're beatable. Definitely a beatable. And the Packers are the hottest team in football right now. So I, I'm, not, I'm not even saying it's an upset. I think that they can go in there and beat them. Good note to go out on. Thank you so much, Brett. And we will absolutely be doing this next week, preparing uh, for the next game. I, I'll, I'll just say it. There you go. Yeah, sounds good, Tyler. See you next week.